Hello, good morning. Glad to see you all. You got to see these big posts around us. It's VBS week, next couple weeks. Lots of fun. We'll get to pray for volunteers at the end of the service today, so make sure to stay around and do that with us at the very end during the benediction. Um, if we haven't met before, I'm Josh. Uh, get the privilege of, of talking at you for about 50 minutes. That's not a joke. I was uh, sharing uh, with some of our neighbors last night. We had a 4th of July party in our neighborhood, and um, they were talking about their church service, and he was referring, he was talking about the homily in, in the Catholic church, and, and he's like, at, at the most, it's like 15 minutes. I'm going, here it's like 50 on a good week, right? And he, he could not fathom that. So, I guess I, um, I thank you. I, I, I mean, you guys have a long attention span. I'm really, really proud of you. At least you pretend to. He's like, do people actually listen that long? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I just stand on stage and just talk. And then, but anyway, so uh, about 50 minutes. Got a tough topic to cover today. Really, really excited about it, though. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been in uh, the series. That just means it takes more than a week, called The Patriarchs. And we're looking at kind of some of the, the big heroes of uh, our faith, you know, way back in the beginning. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, kind of it starts uh, first in the book of Genesis, which tells us the story of all humankind. And that the Bible's kind of not only in uh, books, but then they split up into chapters. So you got books, there's 66 of those, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament all explains to us how broken we are. New Testament tells us kind of the solution to that brokenness. That's Jesus. That's why we worship him. That's why we sing about him, because he's the one who resolves all this. You'll hear more about that today. But the very beginning of the Old Testament starts with uh, the book Genesis, which literally means the beginning. And the word Genesis is also the word that we— uh, what, we get the, from the same word Genesis, we get the word genes, like your genetics. And so um, basically the, the story of Genesis is the story of the human race starting and um, in those chapters in the beginning, uh, chapters 1 through 11, what we see is a lot of really, really broken families. Just really broken, all sorts of me- misery. And so it starts with Adam and Eve. They have kiddos, Cain and Abel, one murders the other, and it doesn't get any better after that. And so for 11 chapters, you just see this spiraling of humankind from a horrific flood to start over, and God hits the reset button once or twice through the thing, and it just doesn't get better. But then in Genesis chapter 12, everything about the Bible changes. So Genesis 1 through 11, all uh, chapters 1 through 11 are all the story of, you know, the brokenness of humankind. And what we discover there is that humans just can't, uh, perform very well. They can't meet the expectations they set for themselves, definitely can't meet the expectations God has for them, and there is no hope. And so God takes away all the necessity for humans to perform in some way to appease him, right? So Genesis 1 through 11 kind of helps us see that we can't appease God, we can't make ourselves right before God, we can't fix ourselves. You know that. I joke about it all the time. You sign up for gym memberships every January, and you're still paying for that gym membership, and you haven't been to the gym in three months, right? But you had the best of intentions, right? We'd see the same thing with diets or uh, the, even the plants that you planted. You had this real big hope for spring, and you got all these, these plants, and now you're looking at your yard, and they're all dead, right? Now, that's a sore subject for some of you, isn't it? So all these different things, these big hopes, these big dreams that we think, and yet never can quite make those things happen. So in Genesis chapter 12, what we see is what is called this covenant. It's a promise from God to us without stipulations. Covenant's different than contract. Contract means if I do what I'm supposed to do, you do what you're supposed to do. And if you do what you're supposed to do, I'll do what I'm supposed to do, right? It's with stipulations. Covenant literally means... It's a terrible negotiation tactic. Covenant really means God's going, I am going to do what I'm going to do regardless. Whether you behave 
whether you do the right thing, God's just going, there is a promise, and it will come true. In fact, we see it in Revelation. He tells us there will be a day where there will be no more tears, no more pain, and no more sorrow. That's, that's a promise. It's, it's done. It will happen, right? These are things God says, I'm going to do it regardless, and this is not based on your behavior. It's not based on you doing the right things. And so we just see this story of covenant begin in Genesis chapter 12. You know, the neat thing is when God starts this covenant, he starts it with a new family, this guy named Abraham, and he says, through your seed or your offspring, all the nations are going to be blessed. And through your offspring is going to come a Savior. So every single generation from Abraham on down, you're going to see this picture of a person who is representative of the perfect Savior who's going to come one day. Because through that lineage, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, Multiple generations later, Jesus is going to be born. And so every single generation, there's a new person who pops up who points to this idea of this Savior, this Redeemer who's coming. So first we see it with Abraham. Then Abraham has a son named Isaac. And through Isaac, now we see that Jesus is going to come. And through Isaac, we see that the world's going to be blessed. And so with every single generation, there would be a child who would be selected who would be blessed, who would receive the inheritance and the genetics to pass on this really, really great promise, right? So you got uh, Abraham has Isaac, then Isaac has these two kiddos, Jacob and Esau. They um, are twins. Esau comes out a little bit before Jacob, like within a few moments. And so he's the firstborn. And in that culture, uh, still pretty common, uh, the firstborn gets all the inheritance, gets all the blessing. It all goes to them. The second child works for the first child. It's a messy, kind of archaic or antiquated or primitive, whatever word you want to use there, system. But all that was going to go to Esau. In fact, Jacob gets his name because when he comes out of the womb, he's literally holding on to, to Esau's heel. That's H-E-E-L and from the south. I don't know if that's how it comes out for you, but the back of a foot, right? So Jacob comes on, and literally his name means the one who follows but supplants. So Jacob, from the very beginning, always has had this dream of taking over and being the firstborn. Now, last week we saw this really manipulative moment where Jacob tries to do whatever he can to get this inheritance, this blessing, to be the, the, great, the great one, right? And so just as a reminder, I want you to see this video real quick to remind you of what happened last week and uh, kind of set up to what's going on this week. This is review. You saw most of this last week as well. So here goes.
So starting in Genesis chapter 12, we see the story and the promise that God is going to bless all people, right? In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he tells Abraham, I am going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And so that's just the picture of what God does. And it never is because of our performance or how good we are. In fact, what's interesting here is you got Abraham, pretty godly, tries to trust God. And most of the chapters, he has some good moments where he really trusts God. And then some bad things that happen to him as well. And then Isaac, kind of the same story. There's not a single chapter about Jacob where he does the right thing. Like, there's never this moment where we're like, ah, oh, Jacob's all right. He did some good stuff. The whole story of Jacob is he is a terrible human being. Just a terrible human being. He's manipulative. He is not likable in any of this stuff. And yet, what we just discovered is God decides that he's still going to use Jacob to give us a picture of what's to come. So th- through Jacob's offspring, he's going to have 12 different children, and they're going to become the nation of Israel. And then one of those kiddos, Judah, is going to continue that offspring to the point where David eventually comes, and then finally Jesus. So we know that this happens uh, through Jacob, which is really, really complicated and um, also really relieving. So no matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are, no matter what kind of decisions you made yesterday, this morning, last month, last year, God still offers his promises to you. And so that's what we're going to get to look at today. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. And I'm going to be reading for a while. But there is one thing I just want to kind of tackle before we jump into the passage. Okay? This idea that at the very end, Jacob tricks uh, Isaac. It's all sorts of messed up. And we'll work through it. And, you know, puts on the fake, the fake skin, the hairiness, and literally tricks him and gets this blessing. Right? He tricks his dad into a blessing. And then at the end, Esau wants it and goes, no, 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 take it back. And Jacob's like, there's no blessing take backs. And you're like, that's really silly, right? I mean, if we're being honest, that part doesn't make sense. Can he just like renounce his blessing to Jacob and then just hand it over to Esau? And we're like, these are really primitive people, right? They're not as smart as we are, not as evolved as we are, because you can take something back, right? So that's something we've got to work through before we do anything else. How, why in the world um, is that? Not the case. Why does Jacob actually get this? A couple things to think about here. The first one is, in Genesis chapter 25, God actually tells Rebecca, that's the wife in a dream, that the oldest is going to serve the youngest, meaning there's going to be a moment where Jacob is going to be in charge. So long before all this happened, long before all this happened, when they're in the womb, God already tells us which one is going to be the leader. Which this is really important, the scriptures even tell us this. The reason that it tells us why they're in the womb is so that you understand that God's will is done. God's will starts with God will, regardless of behavior, right? This is before Jacob or Esau could have done anything bad. And yet we know then that Jacob is going to be the, the heir or the one where the, the promise is going to be fulfilled. The blessing is going to happen. But that's, that's again, more technical and theological. You're going, but really, Esau doesn't know that. Well, I'm sure Rebecca told him that, right? But Esau isn't not taking back the blessing because he believes that thing, right? So this is what I just offer to you. A couple things. One, um, the word blessing is a lot more nuanced than the way that we think of a blessing. Like we use blessing for all sorts of stuff. Someone sneezes, you can go bless you. I mean, I don't say bless you. I say God bless you because I don't have those powers. Some of you say bless you, right? So, uh, you know, you say bless you. Um, we'll say before, uh, uh, like the, before I eat, someone will someone want to say the blessing, Right? Some of you say, say grace, and so we have those things, and so we even use the term blessing, like, or blessed, like, sometimes you'll get blessed out. I don't know what that means, but I don't think it kind of fits in this category. So our word blessing in English is a very, 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 very tiny 
understanding of what the scriptures show us, of what blessing is. In fact, in Genesis chapter 27, it's such an important word. It's the Hebrew word barak, by the way. Um, it actually shows up 22 times in these 38 verses, or 40 verses. It shows up m- multiple times, so you see this blessing. Uh, let me offer kind of, so in some ways, understanding this, this offering from dad to son isn't like a take back. Like it, but beyond that, let's just be, this is, I think, maybe we'll help you before we jump in. Um, what we know, whether psychologists will show us, brain science will show us, and even in our own heart and mind, the things that people have said to you, those really harsh things, no matter how much someone says, I want to take that back, you can't really take it back. Like literally, we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and we have imprinted on our mind that moment that our parent, our grandparent called us lazy or foolish or fat or dumb or whatever it is. Like, we know that these words that have come out of some person into us, they have gone deep into us. No matter how true you go, oh, I didn't mean it, I'll take it back. Literally, your marriage is filled with these things, right? These moments that you say things that you wish you could take back and you apologize, but it still kind of just looms in your head. You're going, do they really mean that? Is that really who I am? Right? All of us have all sorts of experiences where someone has said something so egregious, horrific to us that it just it's just landed so psychology would point out that with the there is and scripture tells us in proverbs the power of life and death is in the tongue so this new lie the sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt us is a lie straight from the pits of hell the things that we say can destroy our hearts and minds and souls now on the other side we all have these moments where someone looked into us and called out some potential, whether it was a teacher, a coach, a parent, a neighbor, a relative, a spouse. So if you don't know much of my story, um, I became a youth pastor at 21. I got married before then and was married just a few months. Dated a girl for a couple years. She had a child when I met her that was six months old. The dad wasn't in the picture, and so we began dating. I became kind of father figure and... um, you know, took care of this child, and about uh, two years into our relationship, a couple months into marriage, uh, she looked at me, took off her rings, handed them to me, on, actually at, in our church parking lot, as I was walking in to do nursery duty, pulled off the rings, handed them to me, and said, I can't do this anymore. I've, I've never loved you. I love someone else. And that pain, right, that abandonment, still part of the cycle for me, right? This deep down, this idea that someone can look at me and say, you're just not that valuable to me was so painful. And yet, a year, a little over a year and a half later, I was at a, um, a summer camp. Uh, I was a youth pastor, and so we took our kiddos to this mission camp in, in Louisville, Kentucky, at Bellarmine College, or Bellarmine, I, think, I don't know how you say it, and was there. And another uh, youth group was there from Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the chaperones who was there, I met and found out that she went to the local college where I was a pastor, so literally a mile down the road. Her name was Julie. And quickly, uh, the student she was chaperoning and our, my students as a youth pastor, they started playing matchmaker, and they were asking me to get her digits. I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, I'm not cutting off her fingers. I'm not cutting off her fingers, guys. I'm not going to do it, you know. And uh, so I started doing all that kind of stuff. And I remember we started hanging out that, and I can remember, I don't know, three, four days in uh, to getting to know her and going, okay, this might be something, trying to figure that out. Thought, thought it was, thought God was doing something. And I remember like, being really anxious of, 
she was three and a half years younger, you know, I'm like, she's 19, I'm 22, and just went through a mess, you know, like a whole different world. Just finished freshman year in college versus just had a whole family that just got wrecked, right? So di- two different worlds. I remember looking at her and going, hey, um, I'm going to tell you something, and look at her and going, hey, I- I'm divorced. And I remember looking at me right then and going, so what? Okay. And just, so weird, just that statement out of her, that statement out of her. Nothing extreme, nothing, nothing extravagant, but in that moment, there was just this relief. Because you know what I used to do? So messed up. Every time I'd go into a, a, a Bible bookstore, they have them all in the South, they're closing down too because of, you know, Amazon or whatever. I would grab, every time, I'd grab the study Bibles. And I'd turn directly to the passages in Timothy where it talks about pastors and elders being the husband of one wife. And I'd always open up going, am I, like, am I just tarnished? Like, I, can I not do what God's called me to do? I just remember being so wrecked by all that. Like, every time I'd go in the bookstore, I'd go gra- grab all the study Bibles. That's what I'd do. This, like, weird, broken pattern. And just in that moment, just that one brief moment, just that coming out of Julie's lips towards me just gave me so much relief, right? So she couldn't take that back. Just like my first wife couldn't take those things back. And so we just know that words that come out of our mouth and, and what goes into us, they're beyond just, oh, can't, you can take those back now. So as we look at it that way, we go, okay, this is, this is more significant than just some cute little promise. It's more than just a will and testament. And yet, we know the last will and testament has so much meaning in a court of law and how things work. And so in this deal, there is this plan that there's these words that are going to come out of Isaac into Jacob, and they're going to change everything. You know, what you got to know about Jacob, and this is so messed up, all he wanted was some nice things said about him. All he wanted his whole life was he craved this blessing. In fact, we're going to see next week, there's this moment where Jacob wrestles with God. Crazy story. Again, Jacob is so stubborn. Going, I'm not letting you go, right? That's what he says to God. And then he says this, until you bless me. And so God blesses him. Like, Jacob just always wanted this thing, which, let's just be honest, we all want this thing. We all want to be appreciated and valued and we want words of life spoken into us. We want to be affirmed. Every single one of us. We want to be a Christian to understand that. We work our whole life for people to like us and be impressed with us. Right? So we spend all this time, and we're going to look at today the power of this thing, this blessing, this Barak that shows up in the Scriptures. The power of it, right? And um, the wrong ways to get it. Then perhaps the right ways to get it, right? And so we're going to look at that and then at the very end figure out, okay, well, why in the world would God want to give us this anyway? So that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be a pretty, pretty neat passage. And so here's what we know. We know we all need them. We all need these words spoken into us. And God offers those. So may this be the day that you hear your value spoken to you that was intrinsically given to you at the foundations of the earth. Like the fact that you are hearing this right now is, is no accident. Like we're all here and there's a sun out there and this whole earth revolves around it. And you go, well, that's just all science. You're going... Something that sustains and created that big gas ball in the middle of nowhere to the point where this earth is put in the exact right distance to revolve around that thing so that we can live and breathe and have life, and none of that is accident. And so let's see what God's up to. Here it goes, Genesis chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, Isaac, or Esau's response, same response that you see Abraham respond to God, saying this, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man. And Esau's like, I can tell. And don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, 
your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me, okay? Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, we know from uh, previous passages that Esau, early on in his life, didn't care at all about this blessing or this inheritance. In fact, it actually said he despised it. He was arrogant and cocky and wanted his own things. Now, as it gets closer, he's rethinking those thoughts, right? And so what we know is uh, Isaac calls Esau, and Esau goes out to hunt. Now watch this. This is where that seed, remember the offspring, the blessing, that transference is about to happen, okay? Now verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So, Rebekah, who's had this dream, has a son she likes more. It's so complicated. Favorites create all sorts of complications. So they both have their favorite. They both want their favorite. They get the blessing and the inheritance. Esau gets sent out to go do those things. And Rebecca sees her chance. And so she's about to manipulate to get this blessing, right? These words spoken over her son, her favorite son, Jacob. So she comes up with a plan. Verse 8. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies so Rebecca is going to manipulate this thing doesn't trust God doesn't trust what God told her she just thinks I can manufacture this now this is where it gets a little dangerous we'll talk about this for just a second not long here is that um all over our globe and churches all over the place. There is this gray area between what God does and what people manufacture. In fact, my biggest fear for me and for our church isn't that someone will embezzle money or there'd be some big, you know, immoral sin that just wrecks this thing. Those things I feel very comfortable going, nope, we're going to do the right thing. We have a right staff. We have accountability. My biggest fear for us is that we would get confused about what God does and what we do. Right, this idea that we can manufacture something. Even we talk about like our mission and our vision, and we have the announcement videos that we say we make it simple for people to connect to God, and we're imagining how to follow up with first-time guests and create kind of pathways to get you into small groups and serving, and we're working through all these kind of logistical details, which I think are important. And now we're talking about um, and planning to start a Saturday night service the first Saturday in October, which just requires another hundred volunteers. You'll hear a lot more about it. And my big fear is that we'd get so busy doing all that kind of stuff, we'd, forgot, we'd forget to invite God into it. Like, it's just really easy to get so busy doing the things of God's work to forget that, that God is the one who does the work. In fact, one of my fears for you today is that you would show up here looking for God and instead just find a church. While I want you to be in church community, I think it's really important. The idea that some of us can miss that connection with God because we've nailed and scaled a pretty good strategy and systems— scares me a whole bunch. Which, by the way, is why as we get ready for the fall, starting in August, there will be a couple weeks that we'll be teaching both on Sunday morning and then on Wednesday nights on, on the role of prayer. Because what we can understand in scriptures is it's actually God who does the work and it's just us that gets to witness it. Now, the way that he does the work is through us. He actually says that um, he'll build his church on the backs of people. He says that to Peter. And so there is a personal responsibility we have. 
as a result of sitting and being with God and hearing from him and doing what he says. In fact, scriptures say in John chapter 15, Jesus literally says that our job is to remain or abide in Christ. And he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. So there is this important part that you just got to understand that we have to make sure that this is not our scheme. This is not our plan. We're not manipulating these things to try to make things happen. That's why I get so, my, I grew up in church worlds. So the way that they're defined, whether or not it was a successful Sunday morning service, was this. We knew when it was a good morning when there wasn't a dry eye in the room, right? That when people are crying, then it must be God. I can tell you a story of a kid who dies, and you will cry immediately. That doesn't mean you had this moment with God. Right? And so it's really important that we've got to figure all this out. And so we're looking at Rebecca and we're going, some crazy things are happening. God is still going to be providential and he's still going to have his way. But it's not because these people are good. They're manipulative. Which is why I just would offer, if you're a person of prayer, would you please pray? Pray as often as you can. You're going, I'm not sure what I think about that stuff. That's fine. I'm not asking for it. But there are people in this room who that is your calling and your gifting. And you right now are even being prompted to do that more often. Would you please would you please? And even after this service, there'll be people down front to our right who'd be happy to pray with you and pray with you about anything. Please take advantage of that. Much more happens in those moments where we go to God and go, God, please have your way than what's happening in this moment. So please, please take advantage of it. Real quick commercial. Here goes. Um, so uh, verse 11, Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. This is so funny. It's in the scriptures. Well, I have smooth skin. Esau doesn't manscape. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him. Yep, you know why you'd appear to be tricking him? Because you are, Jacob. And would bring down, it's so funny, he said, I would appear to be. No, Jacob, you are tricking him. This isn't an appear, right? I would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Logical, probably the most logical thing Jacob says in all of the scriptures. His mother said to him, this is so sad. My son, let the curse follow me right? I'll, I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances for this affirmation. Just do what I say and go and get them for me. Okay. Plans in motion. Remember, all Jacob wants in life is this blessing. You'll see it later where he wrestles with God. He just wants this blessing. He just wants his dad to say something nice. He's got some daddy issues in this deal, right? All sorts of, he just wants his dad to say something nice to him. Do you see how complicated this is and how true it is in our own world? right? So watch this. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered, this is crazy, she also covered his hands in the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Do you understand? Esau is really hairy if you've got to put it all around here, right? Oh man, I wish, I've always wanted to just grow out this part right here during the winter and then shave all this and just have this nice big furry area like a turtleneck, like a permanent turtleneck or a dicky. Isn't that what they call those things? <laughs> so ridiculous. So he's got this goat skin on his face. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. Now watch this. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Okay, he knows it's his son. And he says, who is it? This is the moment. All Jacob wants is his father's blessing, his affirmation. Now, he's all dressed up. He looks ridiculous. And he's walking in. And you're going, what is he thinking right now? Is he nervous? Is he excited? Like, this is a pretty crazy moment in the history of the world because he understands this Barak isn't just some nice word. This changes everything. 
This changes his whole destiny, his trajectory. This is greater than the greatest master degree. I mean, this is, this is everything for him. And he goes and he's going after it. And so he's in that moment. And right here, Isaac says, who is it? Now watch what he has to do here. Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find us so quickly, my son? The Lord your God. Okay, so Jacob understands that Isaac acknowledges this God, worships this God. The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. So now he's coming in this blessing, and it's all a lie. And we go, that's so silly. Why would you do that? Like, why would you pretend you're someone else to get this? And can't we just be honest? That's what we all do every single day. Every single one of us, every single day, we get up, we put on clothes, we work through something, and we want people to be impressed with us. Here's the crazy thing, okay? Some of us are telling stories about 20 years ago to people that aren't even true. And you tell them like they're true. You started telling the story about this great moment in your life that was really cool, really awesome, that you started telling. And now 20 years later, you're still telling it? And you've actually tricked yourself into thinking is actually true, right? Because the, who you were then wasn't great enough, so we had to add some you know, accolades to who we are so that we can present ourselves in that way. right? All around, we're saying things, not saying things, withholding things, presenting things, all sorts of things, right? Just so we can impress people. Because deep down, we think that ourselves are not worth blessing. So we have to pretend. And so here we are, Jacob, in this extravagant sense, as literally going after something from his dad that he knows that he can't get on his own, so he's having to do make-believe. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Isaac's a little suspicious. Can you imagine this? Like, so even in this interaction... He's basically saying, hey, if you're Esau, I'm going to say nice things to you and give you a blessing. But if you're Jacob, you're not getting it. Like in this moment, he's having to wrestle with this, going, okay, I guess I've got to keep pretending here. Jacob went close to his father. Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So messed up. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. One more time. Are you really my son, Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. And do you understand how broken this is? Jacob just wants the blessing. You know, he's going to manipulate and all sorts of stuff. He just wants his dad to say nice things to the point where he's lying about it. And his dad's going, are you sure? Are you sure? And he's literally having to lie for this blessing. Manipulate. That's, many of us have jobs, careers that we don't like, but they give us a certain amount of money to do the things that we now feel like we have to do, like we all just live in this world where we're doing this every day in so many different ways. And so Jacob just doing what he has to do to get the affirmation that we all want, all of us. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. This, this is sneaky. This is, Isaac doesn't give him the blessing. He's still a little suspicious, so he's going to call him close. 
to kiss him. No. So he's already, you know, he's worked some of his senses. He can't see very well. So he's used the, you know, the, the feeling. And, you know, what he's about to engage is the smell. Remember, we know that Esau smelled bad. So he's actually inviting him in for this, this kiss, right? Right here in this moment. This guy's still lying, trying to make his dad happy with him. So he went and he kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed and people have spread manure on it. May God, when we first moved here, guys, this is, sorry, this is not in the notes. We, we got here, we've been here a week or so, and, and you know, it was May, so the night, weather was nice, so we rolled down the windows and we were driving, and you know, they just have, they've, they've spread manure everywhere. And my daughter, I, th- I thought for sure we were have to move back to Montana because she just got started screaming, it's in my nose, it's in my nose, get it out of my nose. Like she's just screaming because that smell just got stuck there, right? So, he, so I was like, oh, the smell, right? So yeah, some of you have, you know, I don't know if you have any of those weird smells that you're like, I can't smell very well. That's why I always sound uh, kind of uh, congested. I have a deviated septum, but occasionally I'll get to, like I'll walk in a movie theater and I'll smell popcorn or I, there's a smell of like a damp basement that I remember growing up. And so there's something about that. Like when I smell a damp basement, I really like it. It's like, oh, that smells like mold and mildew. Love it. Ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May you get it all. May you get all the blessing. May you enjoy all the life, all to you, my son. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. Oh. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. I mean, this is all sorts of complicated. May you be the greatest and everybody else be your minion, right? May you be the greatest. Like Jacob's giving this blessing. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. He gets it. Now think about this. How do you think he feels in this moment? Think he feels good? Is it bittersweet, maybe? Like, oh, wow, I get this blessing. But I had to be someone else to get it. Right? Like this, like how do you, what kind of world is this? Ah, oh, finally someone acknowledged who I am and celebrated me. But what they celebrated about me isn't even true. Oh, now i got to pretend to be that person even more to everyone else. i got to share that story again, Right? Like, can you imagine this? Like, finally, finally he gets the blessing. And it's not that hard for us to imagine, is it? Finally, someone's acknowledged something good about us when it's not even true about us. Right? So, so complicated. You know, each week, just so weird. People are like, ah, oh, that was great. You're so smart. I love how you know the Bible. I'm like, can I be honest with you? I don't know the books of the Bible in order. I can get to about First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. I am 38 years old. I went to seminary, have lots of education. I do not know the books of the Bible in order. And one of my things I'm always afraid of is someone's going to call me out and have me do that. Right? I, mean, I really am. Or help you find a book of the Bible. I'm like, just check out the table of contents, bro. You know, because... I, and so they're like, whoa, whoa, you know all the Bible. No, I know what I'm teaching you this week because I've spent time teaching you this passage. Right? now. I mean, I love the scriptures. I understand they have a, kind of a, a good biblical theology of understanding how they all fit together. But even those things, like I grew up really, really afraid of those things. Like you're going to ask me to tell you the books of the Bible in order, and I'm not going to do it. And you're going to go, yep, don't, I can't go to that church anymore, right? He thinks Hezekiah is in the Bible. 
The man is, the book is it. Okay, so, but anyway, so you got all these things. So you got all, all these different things, and we're going, ah, yeah, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to be celebrated for things that we feel pretty inadequate about all the time. You know, like sometimes people will compliment me on what a great parent I am because my kids are polite, and I'm going, I probably didn't help them with that too much. Some of that's learned behavior. Some of that is their mom is really helpful and teaching them nice manners, right? Oh, your kids eat so healthy. and Yeah, that's not me either. I, my 64 ounces of Diet Mountain Dew is stuck right underneath that front seat right now. <laughs> By the way, it has no sugar and low sodium. So, there's, you know, okay? So there's just these things, like this, all this stuff that people celebrate us for that's not even true. And if we're just honest, it makes us feel really, really kind of icky. So we like the benefit of it. And yet, deep down, there's that whisper that goes, they don't really know you. So the person they like isn't really you, but you got to keep that up because there's this fear that the real you isn't likable. The real you isn't worth celebrating or blessing. Do you understand? Like, this is the world we live in where we all show up at this church and put on our, and masquerade and our mask and present ourselves because there is this pressure that if we are our real selves, people would tell us to turn away. Right? Do you understand that none of that presentation is attractive to the outside world? You know what's attractive? People who are stumbling through life and honest about it and saying, I, but for the grace of God, like you see this passage in, 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 in the book of Romans where Paul just talks about how, what a wretch he is. He goes, who can save a wretch like me? And he says, but be Christ Jesus. Right? There's just something about us walking in with all of our stuff and going, yep, this is actually who we are. That's why you see so much work being done. Brene Brown is kind of like a, at the forefront of this, of just acknowledging that vulnerability is really important. And vulnerability is different than transparency. You'll hear me say it all the time. Transparency is just exposing yourself. Nobody wants you to expose yourself in any way, right? Transparency is just going, look, you, expose, you know. Vulnerability is actually acknowledging your brokenness and inviting other people in to be in part of the solution, right? So transparency is going, look at all my junk. Vulnerability is going, I don't really want to live in this junk, and I could use some help getting out of it. Here's my ditch. I'm not sure how to get out. Do you mind getting in here with me? That's where vulnerability is. And so Jacob is just the opposite, just masquerading, and he gets this blessing. But you know deep down, just like we know, there's just something off about this. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to them, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Now what's interesting is in, in kind of the Hebrew text, the very last thing you say is the most important. So he's saying his name. He's so proud of his name because he knows who he is as his dad's son, Esau. When Jacob says it earlier, he says, I'm Esau, Esau, your firstborn. Meaning he sees the value in the firstborn because he's not proud of the name. He doesn't understand that. So he goes, I am Esau. Here I am. I am Esau. Watch what happens. Isaac trembled violently. Like this is this is, this is like the worst news. This is like finding out, I can remember being with a, a, one of our pastors, and I remember we just finished kind of a prayer meeting, and um, he, he said, man, my mom's calling me. She never calls me right now. I'm like, oh, you probably should call her back. So all five of us, the kind of our leadership team, was all sitting back behind our stage at, at our church in Rome, Georgia, and I remember him calling back his mom and hearing just the emotion and literally 
Two minutes earlier, she had just found her husband dead of a massive heart attack. And I can just remember seeing Mark just trembling violently, like just sitting there and just, like just the horror of that. That's the kind of language we see here. So, I mean, he, Isaac is devastated. Like he just downed his own son in this, right? This is, this is, this is really bad news. So he trembles violently. Who was it then? Who, who, that hunted game and brought it to me? Like he's, he's trembling violently. This is a horrible moment. I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. Now watch this. So you see this, and this is interesting language because it changes right in the middle of it. So there's this whole thing where you see him trembling violently. Then all of a sudden, there's this change of language and change of emotion. Watch what it says next. Indeed, and indeed. That means like to behold. And all of a sudden, he's trembling violently, and then all of a sudden, he sits up, and he goes, and indeed, he will be blessed. He has this understanding in that moment that he tricked him. He was manipulative and all those things, but he goes, and indeed, oh my goodness, Jacob's going to get the blessing. That's what, it's kind of like, you know, when you get to the airport and you're rushing, you're rushing, you're rushing, you want to get, you want to get there because your plane's about to leave and then you get there just a minute too late and you, there's nothing you can do. The plane's taking off and finally you just sit and you go, well, guess we're waiting on the next one. No amount of anything. I mean, this is it. He just goes indeed. Would you see that word indeed there is really, really a gracious word because we know that Jacob is a really, really broken individual and everything he does in getting this lesson is absolutely wrong. And he goes, and indeed, he's thinking about that moment where Rebecca has that dream and he's going, oh. Yep, indeed, he's going to get blessed. This is God's grace. This is going, even though Jacob doesn't deserve it, which we don't deserve it, even though he doesn't deserve to be blessed, God in his graciousness has decided to bless him anyway. Decided to bless him anyway. So and indeed, indeed, he will be blessed. I want you to watch this. This is the last part we'll read. So remember last week's story, we saw that Esau was so, he despised his birthright, wasn't interested at all. Now he's finally kind of interested in it. But it's a, it's a weird thing. It went from I'm not interested at all to nail this entitlement. Obviously, Esau is the firstborn. In his words, he deserves the blessing. He deserves it. He deserves it. It's his. He deserves it. Right? Like, he, he, he believes it belongs to him no matter what. He didn't have to do anything for it. He just deserves it. It's just this entitlement. And watch this. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me. Me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't his name rightly Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, you know, all those messy broken parts of him. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me, father? Like he's going, wait, don't I get something? Like, isn't there something good for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you, and have made all of his relatives his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And look at that last thing. Then Esau wept aloud. This deep pain. He thought he was entitled to get it all. And then finally he comes to this moment where he realizes he's not getting it. And it is so painful. He comes to this moment where he thought what he deserved, what he should have gotten was all available to him. And in this moment, everything that he thought he was entitled to in his arrogance and his pride, it just all comes right to him and he understands he's not getting it. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there's some 
parallels to what it says in the New Testament about Jesus talking about all these people that will eventually come to him and say, Father, Father, didn't I do these things in your name? Don't you know I was a really good person? I behaved well. I put on all the clothes. I did all the right stuff. I made myself look good. I performed well. I prayed well. I did all those things, and I masqueraded so well in, in the gospel. And I told people about you. Don't you know me, God? And it says, hey, hey, depart from me. You didn't earn it. You're not entitled to it. I never knew you. And the way that Jesus describes those moments and what it will be like for eternity is actually these terms, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like this idea, this entitlement that we think if we just perform well enough, if we have the, if we have the right accolades, if we have the right pedigree, we'll get it all. And the reality is we don't get it. Esau doesn't get it. He wept aloud. So, yep, we understand blessings are really important. We all need it. We know the wrong way to get a blessing through manipulation. Doesn't work well. Doesn't land well. So is there a right way? Oh, there is. In fact, one of the really beautiful things, I told you, Genesis points to, the, you know, these seeds, these promises point to a greater hero, a greater savior, Jesus, who's going to come one day. And in all those stories, what's interesting, in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, over 109 times, 109 times, Jesus is referred to as the firstborn. In fact, the firstborn over all creation is what it says in Colossians. Uh, God's firstborn, whom he brought into the world, that's what it says in Hebrews. The firstborn among all the brothers Romans 8.29, the firstborn from the dead is said in Colossians and in Revelation. So over and over again, Jesus is referred to as the firstborn, which means he's entitled to it. He's the firstborn of all creation. But here's what's so crazy. You've got to see this. So remember, you've got Jacob and Esau, which all points to this brokenness in the world, and we're going to see Jesus resolve it all. In the story of Jacob and Esau, second son dresses up like the first son right? Second son dresses up like the first son and disguises himself, makes himself look like the first son. Why? So he can steal the blessing. And then the second son, or the first son, he gets the curse. Got it? So the second son dresses up like the first son, goes to the father, and he steals the blessing, and therefore the firstborn gets the curse. Now, think about the New Testament. Jesus is referred to as the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn. This is crazy. He dresses up like the secondborn. Literally, steps out of heaven onto earth, and he literally fills his whole body, puts our skin on, and stands before the Father. No, he doesn't steal the blessing. You know what he steals? The curse. He goes to the Father, and he takes it all. He takes all the pain. He weeps aloud. He's in the garden going, Father, please take this away. And literally he was crying and sweating drops of blood. And he takes on the curse. Well, if the firstborn loses the, or if the secondborn takes the blessing and this firstborn gets the curse in the, the big role reversal, if Jesus gets the curse, then what does that make available to us? The blessing. The blessing. Not because you earn it. Remember, we're not entitled to it because the God, our Heavenly Father, looks at you and calls you His child. His child. Perfect Father looks at you and goes, no, no, no. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. You will have, you will prosper. I know the plans I have for you and they are good. Like, I will work everything together for your good. For those that are called according to my purpose. For those that I love. Like, what he offers us as a result of what Jesus does in taking the curse is nothing but the blessing. And how do you get it? Just open your hands and say, Jesus, I believe you paid the price for my curse. I deserved it. Therefore, I don't have to pretend this isn't about how I perform. This means I could stand completely vulnerable before you and go, I don't like where I am and I can't get myself out. Jesus, will you get me out? And guess what he'll do every single time? He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, save you. Save you. will pull you out of the depths of hell. Pull you out of the pit and let you walk in the joy of not having to perform anymore. 
That's what's available to you. And what's so amazing about this is Jesus wanted to make sure you got this. He wanted to make sure you got that he was absorbing all the curse and he was, he was paying all that. Then he came back to life and then he welcomed us in by covering us with his own blood. And it was so important to him that right before he dies, he helps us understand that and he walks us through this really beautiful moment uh, of dinner where he takes his communion and gives us this object lesson. So this morning we're about to celebrate communion together and Pastor Gary's just going to come and kind of set up these elements and explain to you how, that, how Jesus makes this available to all of us. So Gary, would you come?